Welcome to the Focus on Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Preston. And I'm Jason. Jason, we had another great talk today. Yeah, we talked to Chad Lehman, who is a central Illinois hog farmer, about the way pork production has changed over the years and some of the challenges that growers face. Yeah, I found it really interesting to hear about his challenges in 2020, uh, how he faced the COVID situation and some of the challenges he had as a pork producer. The pandemic really put a stress on our food supply chains. And it's interesting to hear from the perspective of a farmer, the things that they had to do during that year. For sure. Let's jump right into the talk with Chad. Welcome to the podcast, Chad. To kick things off, would you mind telling our audience a little bit about your background and uh, your career? Glad to do that. Thanks for having me on today. My background is growing up uh, on the farm as the third generation to farm here in Woodford County, Illinois. My grandpa had a little bit of everything when it came to livestock, a few cows, a few chickens, some pigs, and some sheep. My earliest memories uh, would include some sheep and then, and then pigs, obviously everything on, on outdoor lots at that time. Uh, I graduated from high school in 1991 and uh, college was just not in the, uh, in the books for me. I moved out to Idaho a couple weeks after graduation to work for an outfitter out there and, um, and really enjoyed that time leading pack trips into the mountains and, and hunting trips. And while I was out there, dad called me and said, hey, we've got an opportunity to uh, take on a Pioneer Seed dealership. And if you think you're going to come back to the farm someday, I probably ought to take on this dealership because at that time our farm was was pretty small, was not going to support several families. And I told dad, well, if you, if you get rid of the pigs, I'll come back to the farm. <laughs> and he, uh, he wasn't willing to agree to that at that time, but he said, you know, I think I better take this dealership on. And um, so he did in 1991, took on the Pioneer dealership. I came back to the farm in 1992 and despite the pigs, I should say. <laughs> and uh, at that time, we had about 120 sows. And of course, as most operations were, uh, hog operations, you had sows, and then you had your nursery, and then you had your finishing barn. And so we were running a, a 120 sows at that time. And dad had hired a young man out of high school who, uh, to this day, is still employed here and is our production manager and is and just does a fantastic job. And so I learned very early on that one of the keys to success is 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 hiring the right people and hire people that that can do a, a better job than you can do at these individual tasks. And so uh, Stacy and I were married in 1995, and uh, our farm continued to to grow slowly but surely in, in corn and soybean acreage. And uh, in 1997, we put up five 1,000 head finishers, which was quite a step for my dad. Um, big commitment. And we got rid of the sows. And as the industry moved more towards keeping sows separate from their piglets, 
after weaning for biosecurity and disease reasons. And we can talk more about that later, I think, in one of your other questions, how pork production has changed. But um, the farm has grown, grown steadily over the years now. Uh, we utilize uh, six or seven contract growers uh, raising pigs for us. And so today we, we market right around 100,000 pigs a year to uh, packers like Tyson, JBS, um, names you'd, you would be familiar with. And uh, we, we, uh, we have seven employees. Our pioneer seed business will reach the 30 year milestone uh, this summer. And uh, that's, been, that's been a good addition to our farm. I, I often think about a three-legged stool and you guys have probably heard that analogy before, but just that diversity in, in a business. Sure. I have my crop farming, our hog, far, our hog production, and our Pioneer seed dealership and seed treatment facility. Kind of gives us uh, three legs, helps us to, you know, when one of them is, is suffering, hopefully the other two are, are running smoothly. And it helps us to leverage our labor across more entities that, you know, that's the beauty of the pig business or, or the, or the, or, or the weakness of the pig business is that it's a 24 seven business, but at least your, your labor is not so cyclical as it is in the grain farming side of things. And so, uh, so today, um, my wife and I have four daughters, um, and, uh, my oldest one is, is, uh, interested in coming back to the farm. So it's, it's nice to know that perhaps, uh, perhaps the legacy can continue. That's a really interesting background, Chad. And a lot of times we talk to people that have had a lot of changes in their career from what they expected to do coming out of high school. And I don't know if coming back to the family farm was hundred percent in your plan from the very beginning there or not, but it sounds like you've pretty much been very focused on on remaining with the farm. Uh, and you mentioned the, the three parts to your operation there. And that's something I've kind of been curious about. Commodity prices change quite a bit. Obviously, hog prices go up and down, and we've seen grain run up quite a bit here in the last few months. How does having a diversified operation benefit you in a time of rapidly changing commodity prices? Well, I joke around with people that uh, I have two different hats. I'm either a pig farmer or a grain farmer. <laughs> and, you know, ask me on any, on any given day, which I want to be. And, and obviously, as we're looking at five and a half dollar corn and $400 a ton soybean meal plus, you think of the old, the old question, do you want to, do you want to walk your grain off the farm or do you want to haul it off? Right. And it's not easy running five and a half dollar corn through pigs and, and making that work. Um, as I look at our feed costs from September 1st to today, middle of February, we're up over $20 a head in feed costs. And so that's roughly a, that's roughly a, a 26, 27% increase in feed costs. And so, you know, you start reformulating diets and, and nutritionists start working with you on, okay, how do we, how do we, uh, what can we substitute for, 
for some corn and some soybean meal, what's going to bring that protein, that energy, that fat to the diet that we could find in a cheaper source. So, I mean, keep in mind a, a pig from wean to finish is going to eat somewhere around nine or 10 bushel of corn. So simple math, corn at three and a half to corn at five and a half would, would tell you there's 18 to 20 dollars of pig increase in feed. And so now we look at, at uh, feedstuffs like uh, bakery and um, pet food, some of those things that, that don't meet the normal food channels and so get turned into a, to a uh, feedstuff. And we look at including those in the diet. Most of the time ingredients do follow corn. And so if corn goes up, these other ingredients will go up accordingly. But there's feeding pigs is is a um, it's a math problem, and you just kind of look at okay, can we save a couple bucks a head here if we include this? What are we giving up? What synthetic uh, amino acids are we going to have to add to replace what soybean meal we pull out? You know, all those things weigh into the decision of uh, how to feed pigs, and so. I'm still very glad for the diversity because as, as we know, we've, we've come through what, three or four years of, of pretty rough corn and soybean prices. And so I'm, I'm glad for the diversity, but during times like this, uh, it would be awful easy to load corn into a hopper bottom and haul it to the river. <laughs> Less stressful sometimes too, huh? <laughs> Less stressful, no, you know, no, um, no alarm calls in the middle of the night and, <laughs> and uh, no, no weekend chores and those kind of things. But obviously when we're committed to the pig business, it's, it's not something you get into and out of anymore. You're, you know, as I think back to the nineties, when I came back to the farm and, and you guys may remember, but you know, there were quite a few small pig firm, pig farms around the countryside with 50 to a hundred sows. And, you know, some of those guys could make the decision, hey, I'm, we're going to get out for six months and then come springtime, we'll get back into it. Well, that's just not the case anymore. You, you've got employees that count on it. You've got contract growers who have barns built for you. And so we're committed to it and, and uh, we'll, we'll keep working through uh, some of these higher feed costs. So Chad, you've kind of already mentioned the changes you've seen in the pork industry since the nineties, I guess for some of our listeners who are from the consumer side, maybe they're not farmers. Could you describe the consolidation that's happened in the pork industry and the role of independent farmers, maybe at a high level? Yeah. Tremendous consolidation in this industry. And, and so I would, I would say that 1998, was sort of the, was, was where it really ramped up because hog farmers remember 1998 the way grain farmers remember 2012. If I would ask you guys what, what happened in 2012, right away you'd say, oh boy, that was the drought. And 1998 for hog farmers saw, you had, you just tried to give pigs away. You couldn't, you, you get paid about 10 or $12 a head for them to finish them out. And you just tried to give them away. Many small farms went out of business and um, never to return. And so consolidation and what I would, what I would say vertical integration 
really begin to ramp up. And what I mean by vertical integration is the same company that owns the pig controls it all the way to the package of bacon in the grocery store. So, so from producer to packer to plate, you would have the same ownership. And so that was a way for, you know, companies like Smithfield and Tyson and JBS to really uh, ramp up their production and fill their packing houses with a, with a secure source of product. They, they didn't have to rely on 17 farmers in one county to provide them with 10,000 pigs a month. They controlled it. And so now you have, you know, these packing plants that are, are processing 10 to 20,000 pigs a day. Their number one concern is that they have a, a, a secure supply source. And so we've gone from from producing 5,000 pigs a year to producing 100,000 pigs a year. And, you know, I constantly ask myself the question, how, how large do we have to get to still matter to a packer? Uh, you know, you talk about independent producers and it kind of, it's hard to define an independent producer. I mean, I own the pigs all the way till I sell them to a packer. I would consider ourselves an independent producer, but we also utilize a lot of contract growers who own the barns that our pigs are raised in, but have no ownership of the pig. So contract growers are something that's really evolved over the last 15 years, I would say, to where, say you have a, you have a, a, a 60 year old father of a, of a son who wants to come back to the farm, but he doesn't, he's not large enough to support bringing a son back to the farm, but he's got a land base and he has a, a love for, for taking care of, of livestock. And so if he would approach somebody like me and say, look, I'm willing to put up the capital to build a, a 2,400 head finishing barn, you know, say it costs three quarters of a million dollars. I've got the land base to do it. I have, I will, I really want to utilize the manure as a fertilizer source for my crops. And, but I don't want the risk in owning pigs. I'm not willing to go through this, the cycles of the up and the down and the making money and the losing money. I just want you to rent my barn. I'll provide the labor. I'll provide the capital to build the barn, but I want you to own the pigs. And that's been a really good model of growth for us in that I don't have to put up all the capital to build the barns. I can keep my, my capital tied up in the current asset of the pig. You know, I can convert that pig to cash in six months, but a, but a barn is a, is a 20 to 30 year asset. And so I really, I'm okay with the risk of owning the pigs and, and doing the hedging and, and the marketing of those pigs because I don't have to worry about the labor of taking care of them or putting up the capital to build the barns. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting because sometimes I think people get the impression that this consolidation is a bad thing, just kind of the same reaction people have to a large corporation or whatever. We kind of have this innate bias that they're evil or something from time to time. But, you know, the way you're describing it makes sense in a lot of cases for farmers and and they're able to share some of that risk and still continue to do what they love. Agree. I mean, these these families still remain independent, so to speak, if you want to use that term. I mean, they're, they're defining their workday. They are weighing off risk. So they have a, you know, say they have a 10-year note on the barn they built. So they've got, they've got a 10-year contract with me and they've got access to the manure for their crops. So they're going to they're going to save somewhere between, you know, depending on fertilizer prices, somewhere between 80 and $120 an acre in fertilizer costs. And their, their end goal of bringing a son or a daughter back to the farm was realized. So that's been, you know, that's why I, I kind of say, well, how do you define an independent producer? Because I I still kind of look at those contract growers as independent producers because because they are are essentially trusted to to do everything day to day taking care of those animals on their own time with their own discipline but they just don't share the risk in the market. I sometimes joke when I'm talking to people about about my job this kind of reminds me of it a little bit because in Preston and I's role we get to do some things that farmers do we get to go out and plant we get a harvest and we get to farm essentially, but we really don't have the risk of the changing commodity prices and the weather. It doesn't, you know, we get the same salary, whether we produce 200 bushel or 280. So it's not always a bad thing to let someone else take a little bit of the risk. No, that's a good analogy, Jason, of, and, and a, a good way of describing it. it it's, um, it's been one of the most rewarding aspects of of the transition in our business over the last six to seven years is being able to meet some of some of the the families that are currently growing pigs for us and both achieving our goals it's it's been a win-win obviously with with pigs there's problems the same way with their people there's problems but but that's life. And you just, and you just work through those and, and you just keep getting, you just keep helping each other get better. We've talked quite a bit about some of the benefits of the consolidation model and the vertical integration. You know, if we think back to this past spring, there were some challenges with the supply also, and you know that as well as, as anyone else. I, I know you were interviewed and, and there was an article in the Chicago Tribune about the concerns that because the hogs were not able to be processed, the growers were concerned uh, that they were going to have to euthanize large numbers of them. And so we exposed some of the weak links in the supply chain. And what do you think we've learned from that? Or can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, we certainly did expose how fragile and how just in time our system is as workers began not coming to work at packing plants and pigs backed up at at one point we were over 5000 pigs behind in shipping wow. and so we started falling behind in april of last year we finally caught back up in october so you know this wasn't a problem where 
we had it corrected in a month or, or even two months. Once you start backing pigs up on the farm, it takes a tremendously long time to work back through it. And so packing plants have helped catch back up by working six day weeks rather than five day because they, they just can't be as efficient with the safeguards they have in place now. And so I think what we're probably gonna see long-term is way more automation in the packing plants because they've just learned that, that when you have that many people working that closely together in, a, in an environment like they are, you are at risk for these things. And so I think you're gonna see a lot more automation in packing plants. You know, some people have wondered, are we going to go back to, you know, right now in this, in this country, we really have three to four, three to four major packers. I mean, you, you know, your Smithfield, your Tyson, your JBS, and then, and then you have a few smaller producer owns plants and, and so forth. But there's just, there's just not that many places that can turn, that can turn pigs into pork. And so are we going to go back to where we see more local, um, you know, I say, I say butchers, but that's, that's a really small scale, but are you going to, are you going to go back to, to, to having more locations of packing just to spread out risk? And, and I'm not sure you're going to have that either. I, so I really think you, these packers are looking at automation and, and what can they do to, to alleviate some of these, uh, some of these weaknesses that, that became so clear. You know, on the farm, as I think back through, through COVID, we didn't have time for it, frankly. Just to, I mean, pigs, pigs didn't care whether there was COVID. Somebody had to come in and take care of pigs. Somebody had to come in and, and mix feed and deliver feed. And so I didn't have to worry about what I was gonna do with employees like, you know, these restaurant owners have had to worry about, you know, we had plenty of work. We, we had more work. We had more pigs on feed. So at least I didn't have to worry about what we were going to do with employees. There was plenty of work to do, but I don't see that we have got, that there is still no fix in place right now for, for the problem we have right now. What we're doing is just putting band-aids on it by running six day weeks. Most of the packing plant workers are being vaccinated now. So there, you know, there, there's at least that happening for them. But right now I still don't see that we've got a solution to, to what we saw happen last year. Yeah, Chad, I wanted to kind of switch gears here a little bit. I was curious, um, like when you, when I watch the media, a lot of times they present farms and animal husbandry, uh, not necessarily in the best light. I was curious, would you comment on the welfare of animals on production farms? Sure. Animal welfare has been at the forefront of our discussions in the pork industry for years now. And, and so you think about, well, it's very easy for somebody to take a picture or video and it gets on social media of someone mistreating a pig and it goes viral. And it's very easy for people to assume, well, this is what happens on all farms, even though 98% of the hog farmers that saw that video were sickened by it. And so we've talked about, well, we all know we take care of these animals. I mean, we give up our own personal comforts to make sure the animals are cared for. Right. 
but and we just assumed that the that the community trusted us with this and that they they knew that hey many of us are are several generations down the road in caring for for pigs we kind of know how to take care of them but the fact is 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 they don't know that and we haven't done a very you know we've kind of just said well just trust us we know what we're doing let us handle this you guys take care of whatever you do but they don't necessarily trust us and they want to see how we do it and so we've had to figure out how how can we be more transparent but you also have to face the fact that pigs are not pets they're they're food animals they're not you know these are sows or 500 pound animals and so you have worker safety concerns and so some of the struggles we face is if i would take a picture of a sow in a crate and i would show it to uh, a suburban mom a 30 year old suburban mom she would look at that and and you know how she would react. She would say, well, that is horrible. I can't believe that sow cannot turn around. And that sow cannot walk around. And there's no way to take that picture of a sow in a crate and make it look good at first glance without some further explanation for why that sow's in a crate. Well, that sow is in a crate because first of all, she weighs 500 pounds and she needs to be fed and cared for every day. And our workers need to be safe doing so. And with that sow being in a crate, we can feed her exactly what she needs to be fed. You know, the same way with pigs, same way with people. You have people who tend to be uh, heavier. You have people who tend to be skinny. Well, pigs are the same way. So what one sow may require seven pounds of feed a day, Another may require three. And so by keeping them separated, you can feed them individually and eliminate that competition. If that sow's sick and needs a, an injection, it's very easy to administer that. And so then when, so when you start explaining some of these things, like this is why we do this, you, you, you sometimes see the light bulb go on with people and they say, oh yeah, okay, that, you know, that does make sense. But it's very, you know, raising pigs involves mortality it involves blood it involves it involves needles you know it's in manure it's it's not a it's not a pretty thing to 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 produce pork so it's a real challenge for us to communicate to to the su suburban folks how their food is produced and and on what kind of a scale it needs to be produced. You know, we could go back to, to raising pigs outside, which, gosh, how would you like to have 30 sows outside over the last two weeks around here <laughs> oh. in central Illinois? <laughs> but, you know, people don't realize the scale of, of, of how you need to raise pigs to, to meet the needs of, of the food supply. You know, I think about, not to ramble and you guys shut me off if you want, but I think about, you know, going workers going into sow farms and, and what people don't understand is when workers show up at a sow farm, they take their shoes off at the door. They walk in their stocking feet to the showers. They take, they strip down, go through the showers, leave all their dirty clothes, you know, on the one side, on the other side of the shower, go on to the clean side, 
change into the coveralls and boots provided by the, by the farm, which, you know, might have eight or 10 washing machines and eight or 10 dryers to, to keep up with the laundry. And so then they are showered in, quote unquote, they're showered in, they're clean. Their lunches go underneath a uh, uh, UV light to come into the sow farm. And so then these, these folks that work there are, are working, you know, taking care of baby pigs, taking care of sows all day long. Then they, then they get undressed, they shower back out and then they're on the dirty side again. And th that's what these workers go through every day. And people don't, I mean, when you say that to people uh, that are not familiar with livestock, they just, they're like, wait a second, you shower to go into a hog farm? <laughs> you know, what's, that doesn't make any sense. But that's, that's exactly, you know, what happens. And so at, like one of our sow farms is 6,400 sows and they, they wean around uh, 3,500 baby pigs a week, and it requires about 22 employees working there. And it, I mean, it's a small, it's a small old community of people every day that show up and and uh, get showered in and showered out of these farms, taking care of pigs. And um, I could go on for for quite some time about disinfectants and and all the all the things that are done to make sure that these animals are cared for and just the level of commitment and sacrifice these workers go through every day is, is really uh, commendable. It's interesting, Chad, you talked about the difference between seeing a 10 second video clip that somebody took somewhere that, that is taken maybe out of context, maybe in context, maybe it's something horrible, but the difference between that and being able to have a conversation with someone who really understands. So I'm just curious, do you have any advice for not only farmers in sharing the message, but also consumers where, how they can learn more and try to understand maybe if they're interested in doing that? Yeah, that's, um, that's a good question. I, I'm on the board at at Illinois Pork Producers Association have been for the last few years and a major part of our work is that consumer education piece and how do they um, how do they find out how it's done right and and what the vast majority of hog farmers are doing and so Illinois pork has done a good job of making videos and and different um, social media posts on a number of family farms throughout Illinois so and that's easily accessible online. And I would say the other consumer education piece that we've tried to do is, is if, if you have a grower who's going to be putting up a, a new hog barn or a family that's going to be putting up a new hog barn, we'll typically try to do an open house and invite the, the local community to come before that barn is filled and just be able to walk in, look around, see what, see what the facility looks like, help people realize that um, you know, things like, hey, we're not polluting the water. Look where the manure is going in this concrete pit where we'll apply it on our fields uh, after harvest. Um, look how the animals are going to be clean uh, because of the design of the slats. Look how they will have access to feed and water 24-7. And so that's been something, too, that's been uh, we've been real intentional 
in trying to invite those local communities in uh, just to, just to try to see, you know, we used to, we, I still do see it at, at times that hashtag real pig farming. And uh, that was one where a lot of producers would use hashtag real pig farming to try to draw uh, social media users to that, you know, to their, to their posts on, Hey, this, <laughs> you know, Hey, it's, it's minus 20 this morning and, and we're still going out to take care of our pigs, you know, stuff like that. Chad, you know, as we kind of getting close to wrapping up here, we always like to look to the future a little bit. You've talked a lot about how the pork industry has changed over the past 20 years, 30 years. What do you see coming in the future that really you find exciting? Well, I see you know, there's, there's exciting things about the future and there's concerning things, uh, as it is with all, with everything there, you know, I look at the rising popularity of the impossible meats, the, the plant-based meat and say, is that where the consumer is going to lean towards, um, something like, you know, what I would call processed dog food, but, um, that's, that's my own bias, but I'm really, excited about continual improvement in genetics with pigs. I think, you know, the consumer has continued to ask for leaner pigs, leaner pork. And, and so we, you know, we are now a pork loin is just as lean as chicken breast. And so you're going to continue to see improvements in genetics, but I think it's going to go back towards more of a focus on taste because, you know, as you guys know, you, when you begin to lose almost all the fat, in a meat product, you lose, a, you lose a lot of the taste and it becomes kind of bland. And so I think genetics will, will focus more on getting back to taste. Um, bacon continues to be extremely popular and put in so many things. I had somebody text me, uh, he was in New York and a friend of mine texted me, he was drinking a, a glass of bacon flavored whiskey. So I had never seen that before, but um, you know, bacon is is going in everything. And then when I look at improvements in how we raise pigs, I think technology, especially cameras and just the ability to put cameras in barns to maybe have some predictive analysis of, okay, all of a sudden you have 2% of the pigs in a barn developing a cough. You know, maybe you catch that sooner than your worker's gonna catch it going through the barn. So I'm thinking that cameras will play a, a, a part going forward as well. And then manure handling continues to evolve. And you look at, you know, whether, whether you're going to begin recycling manure and cleaning out the, the solids and being able to recycle the water or whether you're going to use methane digesters for harvesting the gas off of it. Those are some of the things that I could see really being interesting going forward. Yeah, that's definitely, the, the future is bright, really all things adding, including pork production, obviously. Chad, to kind of wrap things up here, is there anything you would like to plug, maybe your website or how could people reach out to you or learn more about what you do? Yeah, my website is laymanfarms.com and they're welcome to visit that. It's as I tell people, it's certainly a work in progress. And I'm on Twitter at, uh, at Chad Lehman. Not very active on there. Um, I, I think that I kind of view my job as not that exciting. And I don't really know what people would, would really want to know. But that's 
sometimes we tend to underestimate what people want to know. And so those would be the, the two places I would uh, steer people towards, Preston. Sounds great. Thanks a lot for your time here today, Chad. Well, thank you for uh, talking with me about pork production. I do enjoy talking about it and, and hopefully educating people about what it looks like. So it was great to talk with both of you. I appreciate it. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the program hosts or their employer.